Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast. Each week we take a deeper look at the text we covered in worship on Sunday, and we do that by discussing things like historical settings, literary context, the way others before us have read the text, and our reflective approach to reading that same text. This podcast is a part of Calvary's Daily Connection, so I hope you check that out through Calvary's app or by going to connectwithcalvary.org. Well, today on the podcast, Michael uh, Pitzer is joining, uh, joining us as we uh, kind of debrief a little bit about uh, Sunday's text and it was a big it was a big text so it there was. are lots it was very <laughs> long and uh, lots of things to uh, it's tough to have a shortened sermon time to have say, that larger text lots of stuff on the cutting room floor so yes. uh, let's let's jump into some of those things well first off let me just uh, put out that the text is mark 5 tw- verses 21 through 43 um, it is the uh, dual stories of the raising of the synagogue leader Jairus's daughter with the woman with a bleeding issue being healed by touching Jesus's um, garment. So um, those were the the two stories kind of linked together. And what I didn't get to cover a whole lot was uh, the bleeding woman story as well as how these two stories really connect. So that's what I'd like to try to cover Mm -hmm. in the podcast. But before I do that, uh, one of the first things that I'd want to mention is that of these two people, um, we do have the name of Jairus, or Jairus, if I tried to actually say it the way the Greek would be said. Um, We have his name recorded. We do not have the woman's name recorded. Um, And I just, I find that interesting, one, because, uh, or really because of the historical fact of you have a synagogue leader who had been prominent there, and the author of Mark gives the names. It's something that can be fact-checked. Since Mark was written um, either conservatively 50 to, in the 50 to 60 AD or liberally in the 70s, so really looking at 35 to 45 years after eyewitnesses would still be around, yeah. they would be able to check to see if there really was a synagogue leader named Jairus. Certainly um, the er- the earliest of the yes. synoptics, yes. Uh, no matter um, how you kind of yep. date them. And yeah, so it was, uh, I just thought it was fascinating mm-hmm. that that name was included uh, when not always do the names get included of the people in these stories. So mm-hmm. um, just a way that uh, you can, and just another mark, not to be have a pun there, a mark in favor for historical reliability. Oh, I see what of, you did there. I didn't yes, mean to, it just happens sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so, so I want to kind of start with the the woman with the bleeding condition, and then we'll kind of jump back and see how they're connected. Um, we don't know exactly what this bleeding issue was. Most scholars think that it had something to do with the lower half of the body, possibly uh, in the womb. Just uh, this continual bleeding for 12 years is what uh, we have from Scripture. Um, but what we can know about that is because of the Levit- Levitical laws, in, uh, specifically in um, Leviticus 15.25, we know that she would be considered unclean. And uh, um, so this has a lot of ramifications. The, I was just uh, going to say, what is, uh, you know, let's talk about that a little okay. bit. What, is the, what does that prohibit her from doing? What does, uh, how, how does she move from unclean to clean? What, is that a... You know, is that a one and done state? Is it a continual state? Is a well, know, it a would be um, in, in Leviticus fifteen twenty five for someone who has for a woman who has um, a bleeding that happens outside of her normal time period. It, you'd have seven days after that, then she could um, be ritually made clean again and be able to enter the synagogue and worship and whatnot. 
Um, in her case, because it was this continual case of bleeding, that she would never be able to have that reprieve of being made clean. Right. Um, so because of that, some of the things that uh, didn't allow her to do is she could not go to the synagogue or the temple to worship. Um, she was not allowed that, which is a weird concept for us because um, in the way we practice Christianity the way Jesus allowed us to is we can worship anywhere. We don't have to go to a specific place. We can uh, we can worship in spirit and in truth. And uh, back um, in the Jewish culture, you couldn't do that. The only place you could really connect with God would be at the temple or you'd go to the synagogues to, to get the, the scripture um, taught to you and whatnot. So because you couldn't enter those places, you were literally cut off from your faith. Um in that regard. Um, but I almost think that's, uh, I don't say that's the lighter side of it, but the other thing is that she wouldn't be able to touch um, a Jewish person because then anybody she would touch would also then be unclean. Now, they could go and be ritual, ritually cleansed um, and, and solve their problem basically by being unclean, but people would stay away because they wouldn't want to be unclean. They wouldn't want to be touched. So um, she was kind of a pariah in that sense. Sure. And it would have cost them something as well. Yes. Either time or money Mm -hmm. or or both, um, which kind of dovetails with her problem anyway, is that this is already cost. This has probably drained her of any financial resources yes. that she had. Yes, so you have um, you have the emotional cost of not being able to physically touch anybody, which would include any family that she would have. Um, and even, as I mentioned in one of the services, she wouldn't even be able to prepare food for her family. Um, but uh, the fact that then she went to, for 12 years, went to the to doctors um, to, to find a cure, and the scripture says she spent all that she had. Um, so she literally drained all of her resources, and Mark even gives us a picture that she suffered greatly in the hands of the doctors, um, that it was not mm-hmm. an easy process that she went through, and they could not find a solution. In fact, she was worse off after um, being at the hands of, of these physicians. Right. Um, so she was in a pretty desperate place at this point, and uh, um, well, religion has failed her. I mean, it's, well, yeah, it's she, taken can, her she away can't from even God. turn to that you to know. have any solace, and she can't have uh-huh. a family relationship. She can't have any societal societal structure. Um, it almost as if she was a leper um, in that, <laughs> to the sense which mm-hmm. people would shun her uh, because right. not only would people not want to touch her for being unclean for the cost and the and being the time sakes, but even the reputation part of. Sure being made unclean so um she was in a pretty desperate place and i think you see that with um when you look at uh let me find the scripture right here um verse 28 in mark uh mark 5 says because she thought if i just touch his clothes i will be healed in niv um that greek word there is sozo which has more of just a physical healing but a a wholeness that i will be Mm -hmm. made whole if i can just touch his his clothes i will be made whole that goes beyond just a physical healing that her soul her life all of it was just at a place where she needed to be saved um and she is just wanting her life back basically wanting Mm -hmm. to have a life in community in religion in family all of that and she was just so desperate to reach out and touch someone who she knows she's not supposed to touch anybody right um 
So I found it fascinating that uh, she was looking even beyond just that physical healing, needing that emotional and that spiritual healing. And when Jesus um, says to her, when she he turns around and says, hey, who touched me? And, and she was afraid, and rightfully so, because she's not supposed to touch anybody. Um, when she did come forward and say it was me, what Jesus said to, to her I thought was fascinating it says, daughter, your faith has healed you. I'm reading from the NIV right now. Mm-hmm. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In the ESV, it says, daughter, your faith has made you well, using that sozo word again. So Jesus responds to that specific faith request that she had. And then he says, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Mm-hmm. So he, he says, you will be made whole or you have been made whole by your faith. Be at peace. Finally have peace after 12 years and physically you're healed, that he was dealing with a, a greater um, restoration of her besides even mm-hmm. just her physical body. Yeah. And you see that, uh, especially when you look in, in the Greek there a little bit in the words that were used. Um, so he used uh, a different word when he says, and be healed of your disease. It's a different Greek word for healing than your faith has made you well, if your faith has made you whole. Right. Um, so I, I just love that imagery that it was more than just this physical malady that mm-hmm. she was healed from. So, uh, so that first off was I kind of just like that image, but I think even greater than that is to get into um, talents and tassels, basically. Sure. Um, if we have time to jump into that, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that. Um, as I was looking at this, my question is, so what – Jesus said her faith healed her. What was that faith of or in? Um, and was it this garment? Like she didn't even want to touch Jesus, didn't even expect Jesus to to say anything to her. He's like, if I can just touch the garment. And I think it was more than just having faith in this piece of cloth that could heal her. And when you get into um, a little bit on – uh, when you dive in deeper, you see that there's more behind this. In Luke and Matthew's version of this story, they, um, especially Luke, they hint at or they tell you that she said, if I can just touch the edge of her garment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is important because the edge of this garment um, in Numbers 15:38, God commanded the Israelites to put a cord of blue and a tassel on each corner of their garments. Um, and the tassel shall be a reminder of all the commandments of the Lord to do them, to follow them, and not after your own heart and your own desires. So God commanded the Israelites to, on their clothing, on the co- corners, on the edges, to make tassels um, with a blue cord in them as a reminder uh, for um, God's commandments and to follow them. And that alone is kind of cool that you see that what what she was probably touching there was that the edge, the, the tassels. And by this time, um, the Israelites had made tallets, and so they didn't put those tassels on just every piece of clothing, but they made shawls, and they kind of became prayer shawls that they would walk around in. Um, and I know, Isaac, when you and I went over to Israel, we saw many Orthodox Jews with these, so they're called tallets. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Wearing those, and they would have the tassels on the, on the corners. Um, and so the idea of her reaching out to just touch uh, this, these tassels, which are supposed to be the reminder of God's commandments. But it actually goes even deeper than that. Um, and that goes into a prophecy from Malachi. Um, 
And uh, it says, the prophecy says this, it's in Malachi 4, verse 2, it says, But for you who revere or fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healings in its rays or in its wings. And uh, that the Hebrew word for wings or rays that gets used there also means skirt, borders, corners, or ends. And so the prophecy there that Jewish people believed that the Messiah would have healing in his wings or in his ends, in his corners, in the tassels. So they believed that the Messiah would have in on his talent those tassels. If they could just touch those tassels, there would be healing from the Messiah. So you see that the woman not only just had, it wasn't faith in a piece of cloth, not even faith faith in these tassels that held the commandments, but it was who was wearing that prayer shawl, who was wearing that talent, that it was faith that Jesus was the Messiah, and because he was the Messiah, he had the power to heal, and the prophecy said that even his tassels had the power to heal. So when she said, when she heard about Jesus and that he might be the Messiah, her faith was, if I can just touch those tassels, because he's the Messiah, I will be healed. And you see faith in Jesus being the Messiah rather than in anything else, and it was that faith, mm-hmm. the object of that faith, that made her whole. Um, and I just love the the depth of that story um, of having the the corners, the edges that she reaches out and touches, and from the po- prophecy of of Malachi. Um, so I think that's important because a lot of times uh, we can mistake. Uh, faith in being just the amount that we believe in something rather than the object of that belief itself. Oh, sure. Well, that's a, yeah, I mean, that is a, uh, an old, old, old conversation of what, what is faith? Is it our input into it? Is the, is it the object? Is it a subject object relationship Mm -hmm. even to begin with? Um, You know, those are all all good questions. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it, 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 there's a real distinction here between um, putting, uh, putting some trust in a religious system that has failed her up to this mm-hmm. point yes. and putting trust into uh, something that is on the horizon that has not quite yet been fully realized yes. and she's she doesn't have all of the um she doesn't have all the data or the info on that but she knows that this is coming and so uh, literally reaches out uh, beyond kind of her um ability to confirm that to just say this could be it mm-hmm. and um and it was so, yeah, it yeah. was and uh the um i i I very hesitate to say this, but I am almost envious of her desperate state that allowed her to to reach out in such faith, if that makes sense. Not that I ever want to be there, but it's when you've tried everything else and there's nothing else that works that um, you can find that salvation from, and you finally turn to the right thing, um, and you have the faith to let everything else go and just say, this is it. Right. It's it's, it's, it seems easy, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, from the outside when I think when all the other forms of um, what should work don't work, mm-hmm. uh, and when you can see that, and I think that's why this—I think that's why this story is, you know, put into, well, really three, you know, three out of the four gospels—is um, to say, is to demonstrate that in some way, um, you know, that we don't have to live through that, but you know, we are living through that in some sense, and and uh, yeah, it's a great picture of that. Um, just to, to kind of put a cap on on that a little bit, it also says in uh, Matthew fourteen thirty five. Um, I'll just read the scripture. 
Um, And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to them and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, Mm -hmm. and all who touched it were healed. So the idea of that healing in that um, in that cloak and the tassels wasn't just an isolated incident with this woman, but we see it also come up that here is fulfillment of prophecy yeah, at the same right. time. This is this is the messianic figure yep. that we've been waiting for. Yep. This is yeah. So just yep. wanted to, mm-hmm. to toss that in there. Um, but what you talked about, uh, I want to kind of go into some of the comparisons between Jairus's faith and. Um, kind of where he was at and this woman. Yeah, that's that's the most interesting part of this whole thing to me is why are these two linked together? Yes. And so I'd love to talk about that more. Yeah. Um, so just on the, the outset here, um, what struck me is here you have this prominent religious leader who mm-hmm. is well-known in the community, has um, power most likely because he controls the synagogue, which then controls the faith, which, you know, and he's well-known. And uh, being this religious leader, he had been had access to prominent religious figures to um, uh, to to have people be praying for his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And you have uh, he can exhaust all of the religious systems of his day to try to find healing and salvation for his. Um, when I say salvation, stopping her from dying mm-hmm. for his daughter. And so I kind of see this this just juxtaposition of here's this man who tries everything in the religious realm to save his daughter and here's this woman who goes to all the physicians she can find and spends everything from a worldly sense to save to save her and both of those systems fail and then he ends up having nowhere else to go except he hears about this messiah the promise of the one who can save and whatnot and he goes and um drops himself at his feet, risking his reputation, all that he has Mm -hmm. um, as far as what the world would see him at, and gives all that up to bow at Jesus' feet and beg him. And you have the woman who had done everything from the worldly side and and couldn't find anything, and she drops at Jesus' feet. And you see both of those things bow before Jesus, the the religion and the world, and say, no, those failed. Um, We're putting our faith and trust in you, the Messiah, um, as our only hope, Mm -hmm. basically. Um, so I just love those pictures where kind of you get both sides of it, uh, of where we go to find salvation in today's world, where we, whether it's going to science, going to worldly stuff, or whether it's going to religion, and how those things just fail us, um, that the only thing that really provides us uh, salvation and forgiveness and whatnot is the Messiah himself. Right, and what I also appreciate about this um this comparison here is you you really have a a, a leveling of persons um, as well in that yes. so not only does um, not a, I mean the the religious context kind of sits in the background equally for both of them they're both a part of the same religious systems but they are uh, which which is exposed again for its inability mm-hmm. to uh, really work for either of these two people, but they're on very different kind of socioeconomic ends of the spectrum as well. And uh, I think what this um, uh, what this pericope does here is uh, it, it juxtaposes them in a way that says it doesn't matter uh, that one's uh, one's poverty or one's wealth didn't get them any greater access than than the other one and that in a sense um, within a religious system that holds up one and devalues the other 
that automatically shows its defunctness to begin with, even before even before Jesus uh, does any healing in this. Uh, the gospel writers are calling out this strange um, <laughs> hypocrisy within the system that we have a, a, a basically someone who has done everything, spent all their money, went after the right thing, come up broke at the end, and then we have someone who has still retained all of their uh, possessions, all of their influence, um, and some of that's the gender discrepancy there mm-hmm. as well in that yeah. time, but... Uh, but I think it's it's this it's this first move into you know what Paul says later there is no Jew or Greek male or female uh, all are all are one in Christ and so these uh, these gospel stories that 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 kind of coalesce these very socially desperate or disparate I guess um, figures we kind of gloss over those like it's no big deal to be talking about these people in the same breath. And it is a huge deal. Like that is super scandalous for literature in that day (laughs) to do that. It really was. And uh, um, it's tough to even put that in today's context in America to see that type of difference in society as far as um, that complete outcast to someone who is so lifted up in society. and uh, so I, I just I've always loved those pictures of, of those two ends of the spectrum um, coming together, and I mean, and you see the same law that the Jairus is following and has given him his status because he's been able to be on the right side of the law enough anyway. But that same law then kicks this well, woman out because of her issue that mm-hmm. uh um and here's jesus saying it's not the law that has anything to do with this it's um i'm i'm whether you're on the, think you're on the right side or the wrong side you're all equal here mm-hmm. and you all need my saving grace and um so i, I just kind of i find that fascinating that it is it's not like the woman did something wrong herself it was god's law that that kicked her out um, right. Well, in this, you know, it, it's kind of one of the first times we start to see this idea of uh, clean and unclean um, be challenged or reinterpreted mm-hmm. um, for uh, well, in, in the in, in the life of Jesus, and you know, and then we see that culmination in Acts, where you know Peter gets that sheet lowered down several times mm-hmm. <laughs> until he finally gets it. Um, again, that, that there isn't anything, and Jesus speaks about that, or it's not, you know, what you put inside or comes out. It's, it's where you're at inside your own spirit that makes you clean or unclean. And so um, we see these wonderful. Uh, I mean, we see that explicitly, um, you know, in in uh, spoken text uh, mm-hmm. in one in one part, but it's in it's it's the immersive quality in this in this story in this narrative. I think that. Um, helps us connect with that, not just at a, uh, a theoretical or a um, you know rule-based kind of structure, but really to step into the lives of these two these two people who you know one disconnection from their family, which uh, is a very a difficult thing for a lot of people, and the other one you know uh, your when your child is very ill or dies. I mean that is uh, I think every parent can you know. I kind of step into that and and think about the horror um, yes. of that kind of situation and and yeah. I think that helps us um, as people 
kind of set these things in our souls a little bit more firmly well, than and just you can you know, see that desperation that Jairus has that because it does not say anywhere um, that when the woman touched Jesus that he then went and cleansed himself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right. and he, it's not like J- Jesus when he cleared out the crowds and Jairus was like, well, yes, please come and raise my daughter from the dead, but first can you be cleansed so that I can be yeah. around you? And that, yeah, exactly. you know, there was none of that. It was, <laughs> I don't care who touched you. I need you to save my daughter. And uh, that, that desperation where all of a sudden the rules aren't as important as life and relationship. Yeah. And, and it's funny because, uh, you know, the gospel writer there kind of makes a little bit of a joke about that anyway in that story, which I think is really just funny where, you know, it's like the who touched me. Mm-hmm. And then the disciples come in, you know, with their little gag that's They're, like, well, there's so many people around here, yeah. you know, who's concerned about who's touching who, how are we supposed to know? Yeah, And I think that that is a fun little inside call out of that whole kind of, you know, ultra... <laughs> ultra pure <laughs> cult that kind well, yeah. of developed around that. And you wonder what, around when, that. when the woman did fess up, and that, I wonder what went through the disciples' minds. They were like, we thought everyone was good here. Wait a minute. What's going on here? <laughs> and uh, um, again, just their their foolishness a little bit, and they're uh, just stuck in their culture as Jesus is trying to pull them out to see a bigger picture um, what kind of mm-hmm. went through? Because you don't hear much about the disciples other than that one instance of they asked who did this, and then you have Peter, James, and John who got to witness a miracle. Right. Um, yeah. But you don't hear their reaction. Um, kind of same thing with the Samaritan woman at the well, like when Jesus has that encounter and even yeah. sends them into the town to go buy food, and you don't hear how they dealt with uh, their cultural norms that they knew and, yeah. and Jesus challenging those. Yeah. Um, so, uh, another just very, and, and maybe you have some insight in, into this, um, but it could just be coincidence. I tend to think that there's probably more to it, and I'll ask God when I get up there, but my question is the number 12, that you see in Mark's account that here's this woman who had had an issue for 12 years, and then at the very end, he just kind of throws in that the the. Jairus's daughter gets up and walks around and says, because she's 12 years old, almost mm-hmm. like she can walk, she's 12, but right. why that 12 years old and why the 12 years um, of the bleeding issue? Is there some sort of connection there that isn't really written in there, but it's just hinted at in the number 12, um, that they both have that same year timeline on them? Um, I don't know if you've ever heard anything about that or, or done any... Uh, no, I don't know that. It, I mean, it's a to me, it's a it's a great. Um, I mean, it's just a great linkage between those two figures. You mm-hmm. know, for me, that I, I think that's the stronger the stronger reading there is to say this woman and this daughter. Um, these are two sides of the same coin yeah. here. These things belong together. And just in case there's any <laughs> question about yeah. that. You know, here's a piece, here's a piece, here's a piece, here's a piece. Um, you know, it almost borders, it's almost parable-ish or parabolic in, mm-hmm. some, in some ways where we, um, all of those small uh, little details aren't, um, 
they aren't hammer blows right on the nail. You know, the, the tool is not a hammer and a nail yeah. here. It's a paintbrush. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, uh, it's not as specific as we want it to be, but if we kind of let it breathe just a little bit, we go, Oh yes, I, yeah. I, I, I see that. I see that this is, that these are two halves of the same kind of thing. And if we let them, uh, pull together and do that in an artful way, there's a mm-hmm. lot there, yep. you know? Um, um, I think you could speculate, but at that point, I mean, it would just be speculation, but I agree with you that the, the thing that we can take away from it is that these two are linked, that yes. this story. And, yep. um, the fact that you put these two, um, stories side by side, um, again, what I said, how these two link people are now instructing us on how to have faith and how to view people and their status in society and God's grace to people. Um, been been teaching that to us for a thousand years because these random people, Jesus decided to kind of link together or however it happened. Right. Um, but uh, I just thought it was fascinating that uh, you saw both of that, the number 12 on, on both sides that... Uh, mm-hmm. um, so, um, so having some of that, and I don't know if you have any more you want to share when it comes to um, the connection between the two. Um, I was going to take a turn in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go for um, it. And that is, I, I mentioned in one of my last points in the sermon that God wants us to bother him, that he wants us to keep pestering him, to keep pounding him. Mm-hmm. I brought up the example of the... Um, persistent widow the parable of the persistent widow um and the ask seek knock that jesus uses but the there's a side of me that has to ask the question why why does god want us to bother him or almost need us to bother him is kind of what it almost seems like but um shouldn't a Mm. good god automatically do these things without us bothering him or pestering him or harassing him over our prayers oh michael you speak like uh like somehow there's something that should happen with or without us that it doesn't really Uh, that we are not a part of any mm -hmm. kind of reality that unfolds no (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's one of those that i always like to ask those questions um because I think it's always good to challenge my own faith in asking those questions, mm-hmm. and I know that there would, there will probably, there probably were people on Sunday who was, who were hearing that and asking the same question of, why should I have to do that? If God is a loving God, if He is a good God, if He is an all-powerful God, why do I even need to put my request out there? Wouldn't a good person, good God, already do that? And even the the parable of the persistent widow, you know, it. it kind of juxtaposes this corrupt judge versus God who is the the just God or the just judge and if a corrupt judge would do these things wouldn't a good for surely a good judge God would do those almost to the point of God would do those anyway um, that uh, but if you come and harass him he will for surely do that um, <laughs> it, it's just it was just one of those things where um, I know I've answered it in my own heart, a little bit uh-huh. um, or, or a lot, but I still think it's fair to ask that question to wrestle with it a little bit more. Sure. I think um, it's in some ways, I think it's about the nature of pestering more than it is like, you know, that, that parable about the, uh, the, the unhonest or the corrupt judge. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's, I, 
in a sense, it's like even at our lowest, kind of the lowest level of um, justice, like persistence wins out, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you can be persistent if you want to in that way, like banking on the lowest form of justice. Like if you see God as simply the justice robot that you have to continue to click the button until you get what you want, um, you know, I guess that's the lowest level of justice. Like you'll be satisfied with that. But um, the, uh, I think the juxtaposition that's drawn there is like, no, this is a father and children. So if you ask for a snake, what kind of father's going to, or, you know, ask mm-hmm. for bread, what kind of father's going to give you a snake? You know, yeah. like, like this is, um, we're, we're dealing with something different here. Like reality works this way on some level, but it's the lowest and most unsatisfying level of all. So if you're really, that concerned with that, that's probably what you'll look for and what you'll get, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in a sense where it's, to me, it's very similar to the whole, um, you know, don't know what your, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, you know, do all your good works in secret and then you'll be rewarded. Um, if you want to do them in public and you'll get your reward yes. that way yep. um, and you'll get something, but it's not the same kind of thing. It's, it's not as rich as uh, this other kind of reward. And so I think, you know, uh, again, God calling us into a, a different kind of pestering, which I wouldn't even call pestering. I would just call um, lingering together as mm-hmm. father and children, maybe. Um, you know, and you talked a little bit about, you know, your daughter and her, you know, dad, 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 yeah. dad, 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 dad. And there's a sense in where I think as a parent, sometimes you you can start to, you start to see through that first level of that, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not a, they're not sitting there pestering in the sense there's a real uh, longing for uh, connection and all of yeah. that kind of thing and so it 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 transcends that to some extent I think well, it becomes it's, something different it's one of those where she doesn't understand the patience of it takes time for me to respond mm-hmm. or there will be this this give and take a little bit right. um, or my response intentionally is going to be longer um, so that idea of when we pray to God, there's a lot of times where we don't sit and wait for the response. We're just like, Dad, God, God, right. God, why haven't you done, done this? Right. Um, there's another sense, too, that uh, because uh, of if you take time out of the equation for, for a lot of our prayers and situations or whatnot, I wonder if um, the whole question of why should we, why do we even need to pray in the first place? Why do we need to ask God? Um, I think it, it, that question's in this as well, and part yeah. of the answer to that is God wants us to give him permission to enter our lives, to, to interact and whatnot. He doesn't want to force himself. So, so when it comes to a situation, if I'm praying for God to work in a situation, work in a situation, when that ends, I kind of feel like, well, God didn't do it, so that then it's over. And God's up here being like, no, I'm still working, so moving in that situation, you can't see it, you don't know how it's going to mm-hmm. play out, but I'm still there. And do we get to a point where we say, where we kind of in our heart say, all right, God, I'm no longer giving you permission to move in that situation. Where if we continue that prayer for whatever that is, like, God, I don't know, it ended, I don't like it, just keep moving, keep doing whatever, use it somehow, bring life into it somehow. We keep asking and giving God permission to move in it. I wonder if that's one of the things that he's that he's wanting us as we um, keep having faith in him in a situation that to us seems over or dead or whatnot. Um, Jairus could have said, um, Jesus says, no, don't be afraid, just believe. He could have said, Mm -hmm. too late, Jesus, sorry, and walked away at that point. But instead, he still brought him to his house. Um, Even when his 
family and courtyard and people, servants, whoever they were in there, mocked Jesus and mocked him for mm-hmm. um, believing that there was hope. He still g- gave Jesus permission to enter and come in and kneel at his daughter's side. Right. Um, I could be stretching it there. I'm not. It was just something I thought I was pondering. Um, why we would God would still want us to keep offering prayers to Him, even though for us the situation looked like it was over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think one of the things that I mean we see out of that that instance, and that we see with the other kind of raising of the dead. Uh, a story, you know, of Lazarus, uh, yes. is that um, <sighs> things are not as done as we think they are, and I, you know, it's 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 interesting. We never quite learn that lesson. Um, we we always kind of mm. kick our doneness down the road. We go, okay, well now, now let me just wait a bit longer, and now it's done. We, instead of instead of redefining done, mm-hmm. we just tend to move it down the timeline a little bit more. Um, and I think what, uh, I think what Jesus resurrection, uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the raising of Jairus daughter, um, that these, uh, they don't raise them back to some kind of static state. Like it's done. These are people who are still uh, living for a while, yes. Jesus now, but these others for the rest. Of the, so there's yep. there's an openness to um, what the the future continues to bring out of these things. And so, um, you know, when people always say, well, wouldn't God do this anyway if he was uh, such a good God? Well, yes, but he will also do the other things. You know, like there's a flip side to that um, as well. And there is, in a sense, a um, a... <laughs> boy, you have to be. Boy, this is where words really get kind of weird, don't they? There's an there's an openness and an undefined undefinedness um, to uh, the future that God certainly has. Um, I hesitate to use the word control because that means there's a finiteness to it already, mm-hmm. and there's an infiniteness to it already. I mean, that's what. Um, Boy, that's what those Hebrew words have all over them. They're like, don't, don't think about this as being a fixed, closed system. This thing is open and can kind of go anywhere. But in that chaos, there's the Spirit of God that is, you know, calling these things into um, creation, really, mm-hmm. in the beginning, and recreation now for us too. So, you know, our um, our job in this is to kind of uh, look around, to hold on. Uh, to to walk forward, you know, to um, uh, to kind of step into that and not get too uh, too anxious about it. I think, which is, you know, again, a, a lot of that Sermon on the Mount is like, you guys want to have this thing go down a very certain way, uh, which you know brings us, I think, back around to um, you know the 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 pericope for today, uh, which is that you know in the background is floating this. This is the Messiah, and we'll know this by this uh, this prophecy about the hem of the garment, mm-hmm. um, and he's upends that too. You know, I mean, yeah. to a certain extent, it's it's not about the touching. Yeah, no, it's it's really <laughs> you know? not. And uh, which, which is which is funny. I loved um, your title. Um, if I was going to title this one, I'd say it's not about the touching. It's <laughs> not about the touching, <laughs> or no touching from rest <laughs> yeah. of development. Um, <laughs> and uh, well, it, th- that's why for me, to me. 
Um, it's not about the touching when she reached out. It wasn't about that this cloak can heal her or her. Yeah. It was it was just about the Messiah. And even if she wasn't right. physically healed, she was just saying, Messiah, save me. And yeah. whatever that would look like, whatever would happen, um, it was, to me, it was her how bowing down to mm-hmm. the Messiah. It's kind of almost like the confession of Peter when Jesus says, you know, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the exactly Christ, like the that. son of the living God. Yep. That was her response. That was Jairus' response. Um, as I think he got there. I think. Yeah. Well, and I think what's great about that confession of Peter is you go on and Jesus said, nobody, nobody revealed this to you. Like, no one told you about this. Like, yeah. this is something that you have to kind of uh, it's 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 um, delivered to you. I'm trying to think of the verbiage there, but you know, uh, by the Holy Spirit, uh, yeah. the Spirit yep. of God. Um, so, it, yeah, there's a there's a sense in where uh, I think, boy, especially in prayer, when we get really antsy about it, um, the first step is to kind of step back and say, uh, time is a really strange thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're kind of bound in it, so we don't. It's, it's the water we swim in yeah, is fish. And yeah, so it's tough to... So even. that's hard. Uh, God is, you know, always kind of in our comparability and outside of our comparability, so that's weird, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time. But we have this person of Jesus who has pulled us into all of that, and, you know, what a joy that is to kind of walk around in a little bit of the fog for a while. Yes. You know, it's all right. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's one of the things I loved about this um, story is you you walk out of it and you yes, so you had these two awesome miracles that happened. At the same time, you're just kind of like, all right, who then is this Christ um, that mm-hmm. uh, interacts with these two different people so um, gracefully and. Right. Uh, um, and just it's kind of this mystery of all right, what's coming next? What's coming next? Who's right. what's going to happen? And you wonder. You brought up a great uh, connection. There's two connections that I really thought about that I didn't bring up when it comes to other scriptural stories. One is the faith of the centurion who confronts mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, but the other one is Lazarus, um, right. and where again Jesus was late for Lazarus as well. In fact, he delayed two days so that he <laughs> yeah. Lazarus could die so that yeah, he could go and, on purpose. <laughs> and, and yeah. do that. And uh, yeah. um, one, and I, th- I found it fascinating, and we don't have the answers to this, but um, he commanded Jairus' family not to tell anyone about his daughter's um, resurrection. And you wonder mm-hmm. if that was to protect her, where we saw with Lazarus how people tried to kill him again yeah. um, and, and whatnot. And you wonder what, what happens to this girl and what happened to Lazarus in their post that resurrection life, you know, mm-hmm. how, how was life for them? How did they go on and live? Um, did she um, end up believing in Jesus as a Messiah or did she not? Doesn't mean she had to, but you wonder what life was like. You wonder if Jairus stayed in the synagogue. You wonder if he left because of it. Who knows? But uh, um, when Jesus came and was touched by the bleeding woman, how her life was changed and she could reconnect. And then he goes and grabs the hand of the daughter and raises her and what new life she had. And you see Mm -hmm. the new life of both of these ladies. but I just find it fascinating that that connection with uh, Lazarus and um, oh yeah, and yeah. and I love how 
God is unafraid to stack the deck against him as far as what we see are the odds. Right. Um, where he lets someone die so that he's like, that's no problem. Don't worry. I'll get to that. <laughs> um, and for yes. us, we're like, well, it's over. We're done with. We're moving on. And yeah. uh, um, so I love that side of God. It's almost like the story of Gideon where he just whittles the army down to just 200. It's like, don't worry. I got this yeah. and uh, type of stuff. So yeah. I just love that little imagery of God as well. Yeah. But think that's for the most part all i got today all right um, wonderful great and, uh, well thanks for your time uh, to talk thanks for all your work on this and uh we'll be back next week uh i think but i can't remember what the text is off the top of my head so it'll be something and we'll talk about it so until then grace and peace mm-hmm.